This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Paraswap and Public.com. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem. You are listening and watching Untold Stories, a, a special live edition where twice a week, now actually three times a week for this week, together we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, brightest crayons in the box, sharpest tools in the shed, those who really understand uh, where we are right now so we can understand where we came from, where we're now, and where we're going. And every day, every Monday, I wake up and I'm like, what the hell is this week going to bring? Where are we at? And today, actually, we have a special show. We're talking to we're talking to Nicholas Fett. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're the CTO of Teller. There is uh, the true path of decentralization. And how are you today? I'm doing good. Yeah, no, it's really awesome to be here. You started you started your career at the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, and the CFTC. Oh man, I know working, but you worked as as an economist. And I wish I had that experience that you got before you jumped into into crypto full time with uh, Daxia, which was a decentralized, still is a decentralized derivatives contract on Ethereum, and now Teller, which essentially is allowing for oracles and more, you know, price data feeds, fuller decentralization on top of Ethereum. But what, you know, kind of my first question, or what I wanted to talk about is when you, you know, when you got into crypto, when you first got into Bitcoin and your first uh, foray into the industry, were there lessons that you learned from like working and studying as a research economist that you can kind of bring into our industry? Because a lot of people come into it thinking that it's just code based. And it's just technology and blockchain is a technology sure. that is maybe banking 3.0 or the web 3.0. But you and I know that it's not. We know that this is a fundamental shift because of the socioeconomic reasons. Yeah, well, I think like my, my views on cryptos have like really just evolved over the years. So I, I actually got into crypto before I even worked at the Bureau of Labor. Statistics. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I was. Um, I was, yeah, so like I, I got into crypto back. I was doing uh, an internship at uh, a libertarian think tank and um, <laughs> up the, up in Pennsylvania, and um, we were into the Ron Paul 2012 campaign. If you remember that, so many people got their start in in Bitcoin during that, like one of the Ron Paul campaigns, like I Eric Voorhees, myself. Actually, that was one of the first times I met other. Bitcoiners was at a a it was an event in uh, New Hampshire for Ron Paul. Yeah, no, I, like so it was you know like so I had gotten into that and then as any good libertarian who couldn't find a job you end up working for the U.S. government. Um, and so I, I ended up taking a job at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, and it had sort of evolved from there because I, I was kind of into Bitcoin and. Um, but like back then it was, you know, like it was, it was more just the narrative then was, it was, it was unstoppable money. You know, it was like, I remember you would like, for me, like I would always pitch everyone, like it was, uh, it's, it's kind of like a visa, but there's not a 3% fee. It's anonymous. Yeah, that was the, you had to, and then, yeah. In the original days, like just kind of attack the different aspects yeah. of what the industry was doing at the time. And now fast forward years later you're sitting in the room and you're explaining to people, yes, there's this Ethereum thing and we operate a decentralized Oracle on top of that. 
wow, how the world has changed. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Well, and, you know, I think it's like just anyone, you know, I was, I'm, I think I'm like roughly the same age as you. And it's like, you know, like back whenever you were in your like 20s and then like even just your views on government and everything being a staunch libertarian and then how it like changes over time into, you know, it, it, this social consensus based thing, as you had yeah. said. Um, and, and yeah, so that that was that was sort of like my, my path had sort of led me um, with Bitcoin. Whenever I started working at the CFTC, um, it was just CFTC was another government agency. Uh, they regulate derivatives, but they also ended up regulating Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as well. Um, and I was there for kind of that switch. Um, Do you think that was the right idea? Do you think that that now where we are, that was the best move? Why is Bitcoin regulated by the CFTC, really? Yeah, so there's like, technically there's, you know, you have securities, which are regulated by the SEC. Um, and then there's, you know, other like money, which is regulated by the Treasury, but everything else is deemed like a commodity. And it's just regulated by the CFTC, the commodities. Could you see like a new, a new commission that just regulates like digital assets and everything in and around it? And I don't know, where the line would be, because where is the line now? We know, you know, Bitcoin and crypto is, well, first of all, it's Bitcoin and crypto are two very different things regulated oh, by two, you know, and then you have within crypto, you have derivatives of, you have oracles and utility. There's so many sub assets and sub assets yeah. and different type of things. Yeah, that, we, we could have a whole podcast on just this. It would, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just, just politically, I don't see another agency coming up. Um, just because it's like everyone, so all the agencies, that's, that's like the big fight currently. It, you want to be in charge of crypto because then hopefully they'll give you more money for your agency uh, yeah. to regulate crypto. So like the SEC and the CFTC are fighting about it, similar to how the SEC and the CFTC were fighting for like swaps regulations, you know, post the financial crisis. And, um, Do you think there's like disagreements within, within different um, regulatory bodies around just how regul how things should be regulated in general, um, because it seems to me that you know you have Jack from Twitter going you know this weekend just just yesterday saying that hyperinflation is coming, and then you have all these politicians saying, Jack, you shouldn't say that you're scaring people, and then you have Janet Yellen coming out this morning and saying or yesterday saying, you know we need to um, tax unrealized capital gains, which. I don't even sure. know how physically possible you do that. <laughs> but it seems like there's like a shift and in, in there's a lot of within yeah. governments. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, seismic, like what is what is happening? Where where are we going with all this? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess you could say like that's like the one benefit about um, agencies. It's, it's that like I, I actually noted that working in the government a lot. Um, a lot of times you do disagree. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of disagreement internally. A lot of times that disagreement doesn't get out that often. Um, but, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of different viewpoints and, and a lot of different ways that people look at it. Usually, like, uh, the more politically accepted answer will win. Yeah. But, um, you know, at least the people working at the agencies all try and generally do a really good job. So, so you... Um, so you're working at a libertarian think tank through your 20s. You're learning about politics. You're engaging with Ron Paul in that whole in, in, in that whole industry. And I uh, probably around the same age as you. I was starting to have a little bit of cracks because 
as much as I believed and I loved the idea of a just and free society, I just didn't see how you can do it without the age old saying, you know, join them and then change it from within. And I just didn't really want to do that. Um, I thought that was like a multi-decade type of approach. Uh, And so when when I first learned about Bitcoin, I was still a little bit concerned because it was very much like end the Fed. And I'm not about ending anything. I'm not a violent person. And, you know, even in the and it's not about being a violent person. It's when you start going down that road and you have a lot of followers, there's no differentiation between violence and nonviolence. Your followers will never know the difference. You have to be very careful with the words you use. But I, I start to hear like transcend or build new, build new financial infrastructure, build new data infrastructure, build a new internet, build new everything. Did you learn that while you were working at the government? Yeah, I mean, changing things is always really hard. Um, you know, I think along those same lines, like, you know, it's that that's like the one thing I, I guess I never really liked about the libertarian movement. It, it's, it's always sort of very negative. Yeah, you same know? thing. Yeah. It's it doesn't come from like a positive place of change, really. You know, it's more like a prevent, like the whole world's going to shit. Let's bunker down, and you know, we'll hold out and and blow. I was them never up very time. into that into that like thing. I was always that the world is pretty great. There's a lot yeah. of problems with it. We got to make it better. We got to make it more equal. We got to, you know, make that wealth gap smaller, which unfortunately has not been happening. Over, you know, the the larger the wealth gap, you have discontent. Like. Just if anyone has any friends who have grown up in like a country with hyperinflation and things like that, there are a lot of socioeconomic things that really you start to see the cracks. For example, if the person who works at the restaurant can't afford the food that's being served there, there starts to become discontent and you lose faith in that system. We would always say, you know, that we have trust and faith in the dollar because that bagel the next day costs the same as the bagel the day before. But what happens when there starts to be cracks in that whole thing? So we said, hey, let's rebuild a whole a whole new one. But I want to jump. I want to jump into it because because I know we can go down a rabbit hole here. What is uh, what is Teller and why do you see there's a problem with sure. with like decentralization within our decentralized world that we're in now? Yeah, so so Teller is an oracle to kind of explain what that is. Um, oracles help get blocked get information onto a blockchain. So we were, I worked at the CFTC doing derivatives and I left because I wanted to do a decentralized derivatives platform to allow people to, you know, bet on, basically bet on crypto prices in a completely decentralized way. Um, And so you build these smart contracts on Ethereum and you can imagine a a smart contract where you you deposit 10 ETH, I deposit 10 ETH and, if you, you say the price of Bitcoin is going down, I say the price of Bitcoin is going up. At the end of the week, we see and this smart contract gives whoever the all of the money in the contract. The problem is, well, who gets to say whether or not the price of Bitcoin yes. went up or down? That's, um, that's what's called the Oracle problem. You know, the smart contracts, just due to how how they work, you have to be able to like replay them at any point in history. So, you know, if if I run the smart contract now and you run it in a week, you should be able to see the exact same results. Um, they're deterministic. So if you're calling like an external API, like the Coinbase API, you ask Coinbase, there's going to be a different price in a week. So you can't do that. And the way that they, the code does it is you have to have everything as an input. So basically somebody has to say what the price of Bitcoin yeah. is. Um, well, the problem is, is that if somebody can say what the price of Bitcoin is, they can control your contract. And that's, 
it's centralized then. You know, you might as well have them holding the money because... Yeah, there's no point know. to doing it right. at all, yeah. And so we wanted to come up with a way to decentralize oracles. Um, and a lot of people have been trying to kind of solve this problem. Um, some, you know, people have been talking about it for a long time. Like some of the earlier people were like Augur or Gnosis, if you remember, the old prediction markets. Yeah. Um, they, they were sort of versions trying to solve the oracle problem. Um, but the way that we solve it at Teller, it's just really kind of simple. It's you put down a hundred of our tokens. So like right now, like $5,000. And then you can say what the price of Bitcoin is. Um, and if you lie, somebody can come and say you lied and it goes to a vote and you can get slashed, um, and you lose the money. And there's and, a huge reliance on proof of work, correct? Yeah. So w- when we had originally built it, this was um, this was like we wanted to actually build like the Bitcoin model originally. We we sort of like moved beyond and, and added other features as well. But you know, we were like, well, like how does Bitcoin work? Well, you know, you you basically have somebody solve uh, this proof of work problem, and then you get to say what the order of transactions were, and you get to add it to the block. Um, well, what if in, you get to solve this proof of work problem and instead of saying what the what transactions are in this block, you just get to say what the price of Bitcoin is. Um, and, and that's how we built it. So originally, so you, you have like, it was just proof of work. So you would solve the proof of work problem and you were the person that got to answer what the price was in the derivatives contract. And then the next block, somebody got to answer what the price was in the next requested uh, price contract. And it was just sort of this simple solution that... Um, you know, didn't didn't rely on any sort of uh, novel computer science breakthroughs to make it work. This term Oracle is is being is a has been a flashpoint lately. It's it's one of the probably the one of the the topics that come up in conversation. A lot of a lot of people ask me about it because it seems like one of the ways that we can continue uh, connecting the traditional asset world or the non digital asset world with the digital asset world is through things like oracles and the basic ideas, you know, like you were saying, it's not just price feeds. If you have a, you know, Ethereum smart contract, that's an insurance product that basically says if your flight is canceled, then the product will automatically pay you out like a, an insurance type of like, to, you know, to pay for your next flight. But like you said, if the Oracle saying if your flight was canceled can be, can be, you know, hijacked, then what's the point? So in that type of situation, uh, folks can come in and decide to be a part of that social consensus, stake a certain amount of tokens to to be to 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 basically say, hey, this is what I believe the answer is. Then you have enough people you can create honesty and integrity. Is that the general idea? Yeah, and just with time. So you know, similar to like in, in Bitcoin, like it, it you don't have that instant finality. So like if if I put on and say the price of Bitcoin is sixty three thousand dollars. If if time goes on, like if an hour goes by and nobody has said, "Hey, that's wrong," it's probably right, um, and, and you have that kind of guarantee. And yeah, but the the bigger piece, as far as you know, just the, the reliance on oracles, you see um, a lot of these DeFi contracts on Ethereum. A lot of these, even you know, people are talking a lot more about bridging. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. Th- there's a lot of Bitcoin right now that's sitting on Ethereum. Um, and how they do that is you use an oracle. Uh, you send Bitcoin to an address and then an oracle on Ethereum says, hey, 
they locked to that Bitcoin. Now I'll mint you a synthetic Bitcoin on, over here on Ethereum. Um, if that's a centralized oracle, all of that Bitcoin is sort of being held by a central party, um, and it's not—it's it, not being held by like this broad Ethereum, you know, as decentralized as say Ethereum is. It's—it's it's much, much more centralized, and and that's what we're trying to sort of solve, you know, whenever we're, you know, because I, I think a lot of people see this, you know, multi-chain future, and they see this, you know, you are bringing on real-world assets if you want to take yeah. a, you know. If you want to connect different chains, if you want to bring on real world assets to use as collateral in DeFi, you're going to need oracles for these things. And, and that's that's kind of why we got into it. Sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming, but I wanted to tell you guys that if you're using PancakeSwap, Uniswap, DYDX, SushiSwap, you're doing it wrong. You need to be using PowerSwap because PowerSwap is a user interface, a decentralized smart contract platform that sits on top of all of these. And when you go to Paraswap or untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap, because they're refunding your gas, if you go there, then you'll be able to, on top of Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, and Polygon, look for the best prices for your tokens and swap and do everything in one predefined transaction on chain. Instead of having to do the approval to this token, to that token, to do all these different things, Paraswap does it all for you. It's decentralized. They just released their API version five that you can see everything. It's all open source. Very cool stuff. Untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap. If you're using any of the other decentralized protocols, you're doing it wrong because you need to be using the routing, beautiful Paraswap routing system. And it's fully decentralized too. It's gorgeous. Talk to you guys soon. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs, and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, public.com, it's a super awesome community where they take your, private, your privacy seriously, and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto, Bitcoin, all different coins and tokens, and also stocks, bonds, ETFs, equities, and it's all done in the same place. What I love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with, with all walks of life, life, gain confidence, ask questions, get the big picture with curated themes, talk to everyone, but they don't get involved in the order flow. They're not selling your data to all these other middlemen. And we got a very good special for you, my listeners today. If you go to public.com forward slash untold stories and you start investing with $1, they're going to give you up to $50 in a free stock, a slice of a stock. That's all you got to do. Download the app, $1, you get 50 bucks worth. Public.com forward slash untold stories, valid for U.S. residents, 18 plus only, subject to account approval. And make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures. There's no investment advice here. These guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community, stock, bonds, ETFs, cryptos, all together. Make sure you check it all out, public.com forward slash untold stories. We we're supposed to have had this very, very robust futures market right now. You know, we're in this inflation, everything bubble type of thing that we're going through. Why why aren't the futures market helping keeping prices of, of things like beef, pork, chicken, gas stabilized? And is that maybe now we should be looking towards having those things be speculated on? In, in digital asset futures markets and in, in crypto futures markets using oracles because you can decentralize 
the you can decentralize the information and the data coming through of how much you know how many chickens are being processed or coming through like at different flashpoints and things like that. Yeah, I mean, then this is, goes into just more of a central finance question. It's like, why isn't yeah why aren't financial markets working as well? Yeah, as they basically, should that's my question: is why aren't they working? Yeah, well, I mean, that, it's like all theory, but it's you know, you get into this idea about you know, originally, like what were what were like futures markets and and finance, like that's like I hate financialization for financialization's sake. I feel like that's what crypto is at the moment. We're just sort of financializing things. We're not actually helping the end user at all. Financialize sort of, all the things, yeah. Yeah, it's like this doesn't help anything. Um, you know, like the original purpose of like the futures market is you have like a farmer who's growing corn. And he he doesn't want to wait to the end of the year to cat you know to sell his corn because he doesn't know what the price is going to be so he'll sell it now on the futures market and then deliver the corn in the future um, and that was a way for him to sort of hedge his prices he could have just sort of a steady income stream um, and people who were betting on the futures markets would have this ability to to see where prices are going what we expect the crops to be and, and this information flow. Um, but I think we've like sort of lost a lot of that, um, you know, like what yeah. what sort of information is actually flowing through these financial markets, especially basically it, it's turned into where, yes, there are these actual farmers and users, but it's mainly just speculators who provide no information <laughs> trading against high frequency traders who don't care about the information. So, you know, you you have. It, it's sort of broken down any of those the ability of financial markets to actually do their job. You you've said it so eloquently, elegant. I can't even say that. Like just <laughs> speaking of a play on words right there. But no, you said a hundred percent. It's exactly right. You have these high frequency traders trading, and then you have these just big farmer like mega corporations that are supposed to represent, you know, the data that the farmers are bringing in. And I'm like generalizing here, and it's them providing the data trading against. And so using. So if we were to say, hey, let's build a centralized Oracle system with, you know, pre-crypto, the farmers would say, well, what's the point? Because I still have to trust this mega company with the data that I'm inputting. But what if that farmer can come in and through a decentralized Oracle type system be paid for providing the most accurate data about the crop, about the weather? And then you can like bring all of that data in real time together in a decentralized way. It's like the real time freaking farmer's almanac or whatever, you know? Sure. You could do some yeah. crazy things. That's where I see this going. Yeah. I mean, you, you could do that. I mean, that that's just definitely one of those things. It's, it's what you do with the data <laughs> in the long run that would actually change anything. Um, but no, I, I could definitely see, you know, people bringing more and more information on chain. I think, you know, so, some of the other pieces too, you know, whenever you're talking about oracles, you know, uh, we're excited to see some people moving away from just pegging things to the U.S. dollar. You know, you can get a more decentralized CPI. Um, you can have some some things that actually have to do with really um, cost of living adjustments. Yeah, well, I mean, you can imagine like, you know, my old employer at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So, you know, how do you calculate the CPI? Well, it's just how much do people pay to live? Well, you could, you know, there, there's a lot of politicization around that. Um, some people, you know, agree or disagree with the number, but it, it would be nice if you could have more of like a global one and you could, you could peg, say, some of these stable coins too. And I think wow. that would be something. Like a CPI based stable coin. I would invest yeah. in that. That could be crazy. 
but you'd have to trust the data. You'd have to trust it. You would have to trust the data. So what if you had like, I mean, you can do this. Like this is something you can do now. Like what if you essentially took all of the users and said, hey, start telling us what the cost of like a Big Mac is in your country. Like, and just once a day, just honest, just, you know, check drive by. And if it doesn't change, it's just, or once a week or whatever, maybe it doesn't need to be daily. You can create some sort of like, you take that product and maybe like, of course, you know, bananas, some apples, coffee beans, I don't know, whatever things you need to live, bread, milk. I don't drink. I actually drink bad. Housing something. Yeah. It was really bad. <laughs> I still can't. I didn't get my smell and taste back from COVID yet. So I'm still. Oh, man. I could. I, my wife is like, that milk doesn't look very good. I'm like, it's great. And I'm like, shh. It was real. But you can have, you know, like decentralized data sources coming in. But you said something, you said something very important a second ago. You said, yeah, it depends what you're doing with that data. So yeah, how the data is being transferred and stored is very important. Privacy and being able to the end user being controlled over it. But what would you do with the data? Just trade and speculate like we do now? How could that affect the end user? I see, uh, you tell me your answer, but maybe that farmer can now get a real-time line of credit. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you want to build things that actually help people um, actually move things down the road. Um, and then this is, you know, this has, I, I would say like that almost has nothing to do with crypto or, you know, it has to do with just like finance in general. Like how do you actually use finance to help the smaller people? Um, I'd say we've done probably a poorer job at that in crypto. Um, <laughs> you know, besides just speculating and letting people get rich, but yeah, like just having building in some incentives to, you know, having it actually help the people who are reporting the data. So, you know, you could imagine like you're minting a token to the person who's actually reporting the data or you're minting a token to the actual farmer. Um, you're minting a token to smaller farmers only. You know, you could have something to sort of help, you know, promote smaller farms or something like that um, and use the data to sort of measure how you're sort of distributing some of those tokens. So you've... you've move to this different model now it's it's called a reporter model uh how yeah. is it different and how how would it be more efficient this is just you know very teller specific it's just um we we were doing things where we had uh we, we had five different people who were reporting um each of the prices um and then we would take the median as the official value and now now what we're doing is we wanted to move to something where only one person had to report each value um and the reason is, is that gas costs on Ethereum are actually absurd. Yeah. They're um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we wanted a way that, that you could, we sort of reduced the, the, num the amount of gas you have to pay uh, by a factor of 10, which is going to make the Teller Oracle much, much faster, much, much more sort of multiple for doing things um, such as bridging or such as um, bringing on kind of real yeah. world data. Do you see a world where Ethereum moves away from proof of work? I know it's been, the can's been kicked down the road a few times. Oh, but... man. <laughs> I think I they'll get there eventually. But <laughs> yeah, no, I remember like we we went to like like DevCon 2018, yep. you know, and it was like the whole thing was like, we're, we're, we're just about ready to launch proof of stake, guys. Um, <laughs> and it, it just never happened. But no, I, you know, it, it, it is a really big system. Um, they're taking it slowly. It's definitely been one of those things that, you know, they've been planning on it the whole time. Why, though? That's what I don't understand. Is uh, it now something that has to be done because it's been talked about and part of the roadmap? Is sure. anyone looking at it and saying, maybe we should stick to proof of work? 
I mean, proof of stake is still so new. And, you know, not to say one is better than the other, but we know it works. Maybe we figure out how to optimize and make it better without just completely getting rid of the whole incentive structure that we've had for the past, you know, eight years. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I think I think the other thing, too, is I don't think the proof of stake switch is going to be as beneficial as a lot of people think it will be. Um, you know, it's, it's not like we're 100xing the scale of Ethereum or anything like that. You know, like if that was the case, like you could say, like, oh, okay, I well, see your point. well, now, like now, now it's worth it. We're going to really make everything way, way better. But I, I don't think it's going to be as big of a point, as big of a, a benefit. Um, to the whole network but yeah i mean like i i the way i tell it like for most people just operate with ethereum the way it is now um it's probably not going to change anytime in the next few months so just go with it and then you know be open to switching do you think these things do you think these blockchains like actually need to scale as big as a lot of people think like a visa mastercard level or can you just have a lot of smaller chains and protocols and things like that that are growing at their own pace yeah, it's yeah no i mean i think you'll have smaller chains too like it's um you know like I, i've always said like i i sort of view other chains as like you know they're almost like forks of the main chain so like i, I view yeah. you know like ethereum you could consider like a fork of bitcoin in a way like it's like you, the yeah basically who, well I mean, the ethereum uh, raised money by by selling like they raised money in bitcoin yeah. to launch Ethereum. So it's kind of the same thing. And that should be how everything kind of is created from the other should be celebrated. It shouldn't be like, oh no, we came up with our own things, our own thing. Like it should all be, even the ones of today yeah. should celebrate their history and where they kind of came from. Uh, and on that note, you know, you're, how do you get Teller to be like agnostic? How do you get it to, to operate on multiple chains and blockchains? It's definitely hard, but it's, you know, the Oracle problem comes down to like a few things like with Teller, you know, you have somebody put some sort of money here and then they're allowed to report and say what the value of something is or, or what this transaction is. And it's a relatively simple structure and we're working on sort of becoming agnostic in the same way, like, you know, Uniswap, for instance, you could say like, yeah. you could launch, you could launch Uniswap on Ethereum or you could launch Uniswap on Polygon or you could launch it on oh, Solana. I see what you're saying. And like it, it's it's sort of agnostic across. It's it's just sort of the standard. Um, in the same way, like I sort of see Ethereum being the standard in a way. Like if you've seen like the EVM in and of itself is the standard now. Is it portable now? Because uh, the listeners of the show and a lot of my friends and things like that work at and have developed multiple different blockchains, and this seems like this would be a perfect fit, you know, to have already, you know, in, in the package right out of the gate. Is this something that is portable right now to other different types of like consensus algorithms and things like that? Yeah. So, I mean, well, we've just tested it like on the EVM chain now. Um, we're working on just doing, you know, we didn't, we're still in our little Ethereum bubble as far as people yeah. who reach out to us for projects. So we're slowly just branching out and then we're, we're going to try and build it. Um, build it out from there but yeah i mean if people are interested in helping us sort of make it you know we're, we're solidity programmers so if somebody knows how do they reach out to you how do people get uh, in touch with you yeah so i mean we're on discord just teller.io is our website discord telegram you can reach out and we have know. 
we have in the show notes and on the tweet we have your twitter and everything and every and, and everything is there nick nick thank you so much for coming on 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 untold stories thank you for sponsoring this live edition because we never get to do them and i'm so excited when we get to uh everyone loves it so it's a big thing um i hope to have you back on the show soon and it's hearing how your oracle is on 30 different chains i'm going to give you six months Okay. I appreciate you. I'll talk, and we hope we get to hang out in a few weeks too. It'll be awesome. Oh yeah, that'll be fun. Um, Very excited. Cool. Every time yeah. I have a guest on the show, I write down their location because this, these are like people that I get to hang out with whenever we travel around. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I no. Well, we we travel to a lot of the events, so you'll have to. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. I'll see you later. Thank you, everyone, yeah, for joining for and watching this live stream, and and uh, check out Teller and decentralized oracles and understand the true path to decentralization starts with you. That sounds so corny. That's like the corniest thing ever. I know. I don't know. I, I didn't write that, did I? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. <laughs>